Well, hey, good morning, and again, welcome. We're so grateful to be together this morning, and I'm excited to um, be able to share from God's Word with us this morning. So again, if you're um, <clears throat> joining us this morning, we would love for you to interact and comment, say hello, let us know you're here. And I would even say this, like kind of go outside the box a little bit. Um, normally, if we could gather in person, um, you know, you'd walk in, you'd say hello, how's it going, what's going on in your week and your life. And so maybe even this morning, um, even while I'm preaching, it's okay. Um, send somebody a message, send somebody a text message, or maybe as soon as church is over or later on, call someone, check in on them, see how they're doing and um, connect. Because um, I think it's it's obviously we need um connection. And so connect in the best ways that we can um, uh, right now. And so immediately after our um, service this morning, after the live stream, um, we're going to post a link to a Zoom call in the comments. And so um, the purpose of that will just be to to anybody that wants to, um, to get on and hang out and chat a little bit and um, just kind of fellowship and hang out after the service. And so we want to invite you to do that because we need connection. And so this morning, I'm going to jump right in um, and, and get going. And so it's great to see many of you joining us this morning. Um, we are in our final week of our series called Basics. And so the, the point of this has been that our beliefs about God and his creation will determine the way that we live. And so this is our final week and seeing that like what we believe and how we live are inseparable. Like, and it's really important. I'm, I'm glad that we've gone through this and it's impacted me um, personally as well. But um, it really, really matters. What we believe impacts what we do. Have you ever heard of the show? There's a TV show. Um, and honestly, I've never really watched it, but I've just been aware of it. Um, there's a show called Doomsday Preppers. This is a, an image from the show, right? It was a reality. It was a reality TV show that um, kind of followed various like survivalists who are preparing to survive the circumstances that they believe could cause the end of civilization. So for these people, um, what they believe is dictating every decision, right? They stockpile food and water and weapons and toilet paper, like sound familiar, right? And like gas masks and all of that. And they build these like elaborate bunkers and spend all their time prepping for the end of the world. Here's my point. Our beliefs matter. Their beliefs are leading them to do these things. These are people in real life doing this, right? Um, so that's why we've wanted to go through this basics series. And so this morning, on our final week of the series, ironically, right, we're talking about the end of the world. We'll be looking at the second coming of Jesus, the end times, heaven and hell. We will see that how we view the end times and what happens after we die will greatly impact the way that we live. Probably in a little bit different way than the doomsday preppers, but it does have a massive impact on how we live. And so um, if you're just joining us, if you're new with us, we have um, on our website, you can watch previous sermons from the basics series. And we also have resources and things there to help you continue to, to learn and grow as we go through this. And so um, let's jump right in. If you've got a Bible with you, turn in your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 1. It's almost at the very, very end of your Bible. So for some people, 
the book of Revelation and like end times stuff is fascinating. And like you want to dig in, you want to know more. For others, it just seems really weird. There's like too many dragons and lakes of fire and trumpets and horses and blood moons. And it's just like, okay, it's just confusing. I don't really know, right? It's important to understand the context of our passage and the context of the book of Revelation. So it was written by John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. And it was written during a time of persecution for the church. And they were dealing with lots of persecution from the Roman Empire. And so the book of Revelation is filled with symbolism and much of it designed to encourage the believers and encourage the Christians and to let them know that in the end, God will be victorious. Yes, parts of Revelation can seem really strange and confusing. And we won't get to all of that today, and I won't claim to be able to explain all of it because I can't, right? But we want to look at the big picture and see the promise of the hope of heaven. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 together this morning. So um, I'm, we're back here to live streaming. So if I'm looking down and looking here, I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I'm running the live stream. So I'm going to do my best. But let's read our scripture together. And it says this. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Let's pray together before we jump into this. God, we are thankful again for this day that you've given. Thankful for a new morning, for sunshine. We're thankful for your faithfulness and goodness. God, would you speak to our hearts through your word this morning? God, I pray that we could uh, come under the authority of Scripture and see how it impacts our lives and see how it teaches us about you. God, let us have hearts that are soft and ready to listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so maybe you're like, okay, what's going on? There's like lakes of fire and sulfur and all these things. And so uh, I get it. So let's, let's try to unpack this a little bit. Um, we live in a world of uncertainty. And really just the past nine or 10 months and even the last nine or 10 days have made that clearer than ever. But as we read Revelation 21, we see that there is hope. There's a place of certainty. Um, if you've been around long, one of my favorite pastors to quote is a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this. He said, a Christian is someone who can be most certain about the ultimate, even when they are most uncertain about the immediate. 
I love that. Think about that. The Christian beliefs about heaven and the second coming of Jesus enable us to be certain about the ultimate, about what's coming in the end, even when the immediate, even when today sometimes seems to be unraveling. And so we see all this. How can we be certain? How can we know what's certain when coming in, you know, when, when we face the immediate, but what's coming in the ultimate? See, our problem is that we get stuck in the immediate. We get stuck in the moment. We lose sight of the hope of eternity, and we end up dragging ourselves through each day, just like hoping for the best, tired, kind of like saying like, can I take a nap, you know, like that, or just, and just facing to sometimes the drudgery of life, the despair of life, or we simply just get distracted by the stuff of life, like jobs and busyness and entertainment and all of that. We get stuck in the immediate and we miss the fact that we have a God who has promised to come again, that there is something greater coming for us. And so our beliefs about the end times impact the way that we live. And it matters that we understand what the Bible teaches about this topic. And it matters for our futures and it matters for today. Our main idea this morning is this, is that the assurance of the return of Jesus gives us hope for today. And we, we need that. We need hope for today that shows us how to face what's coming and shows us that there is a greater day coming. So the assurance of the return of Jesus gives us hope for today. So as I get started with my main points this morning, I would say, what questions do you have about this topic? I can't guarantee an answer, but feel free to ask. And towards the end of the sermon, I may try to circle back and look at some of those or um, respond later in the week or something. Uh, but what questions would you have about this topic? And so I want to keep it pretty simple this morning. So you can ask those, you can comment. Um, but I want to keep it pretty simple, and it's this. What do we not know about the end times? What do we know about the end times? And what do we do with what we know about the end times? All right, so that's a lot of words, but let's unpack that and see. So the first thing is this. What do we not know about the end times? And the short answer is a lot. There's a lot that we don't know. First of all, we don't know when Jesus will return. It's very clear in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus talks about his return, and he says, Now concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Like the Bible is very clear that no one knows when Jesus will return. So if you hear someone say, I know when Jesus is going to return, they're wrong. They don't know, right? So we don't know all the details about the end times. That's the second thing. We don't know the details, right? For generations, there have been discussions and debates and arguments over the details of the second coming, when it will be, how it will be, what it will look like, all of those things, right? The second coming of Christ is in the future, and we can't tell the future, right? Scripture gives us some important things to know and some insight into the topic, but so much of the end times discussion is based on various people's interpretations and opinions. I'm not saying it doesn't matter or that it's not worthy of study. I'm simply saying that there are, after all of our conversations, there are simply things we just don't know. So when it comes to heaven and hell, we don't know exactly what it will be like because we haven't been there, right? 
But I can tell you this, like heaven won't be angels sitting on clouds playing harps and hell will not be run by a guy with a pitchfork and horns and a tail, right? Those are cartoonish versions of heaven and hell, but we don't know all of those details. So there's a lot that we don't know. And this sermon, the purpose is not going to be dissecting and looking at different interpretations and things like that. So second question, though, is what do we know about the end times? So what do we know? Right? I think there's a lot that we do. The first thing that we know is that Christ will return. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. In verse 11, we read, the, the angels are talking to the disciples and they say, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it tells us, he says, Paul says, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And again, another, another example here is from the book of Revelation um, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So all of these point us to and remind us of this clear truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will return to earth, and he will return to bring people into heaven, to bring to, to restore and, and rescue those who have put their faith in him. So the Bible clearly promises the return of Christ. So what else do we know? Secondly, we know this. We know that all things will be restored. If you've been around Renaissance long, and even recently, we've talked about this idea of Scripture being one story. And in this story of the Bible, we have creation, where God creates everything. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we have what's called the fall, where sin enters the world. Humanity rebels against God. And then large portion of the Bible is this process of leading up to redemption of when God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross and to raise from the dead so that our sin can be forgiven, that the wrath of God can be satisfied, and that we can be made new in Jesus. So this is the process of redemption. And the final component of that story of Scripture is restoration. And that's what we're looking at here in the book of Revelation, that when we come to the end of time, all things will be restored to what God created and intended in the beginning. So let's look at our passage of uh, Revelation chapter 21. And, and so here's what it says. Look at verses 1 and 2, thinking about this idea of all things being restored. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down. Verse, um, let's look at verses 4 through 6. And verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief and crying and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. And then in verse 6, Verses four, oh, sorry, verses four, five, and six. It says, Then the one seated on the, thr- on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. That's the, re- the restoration of God making all things new. He says, I, I, Right, because these words are faithful and true. He says, It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the water, spring of water of life. So here's what I'm getting at with all this. 
we know that all things will be restored, that God in his power and his grace is going to make everything new. There's so much joy and hope in this passage. Look at verse 3 again. Think about that. Verse 3, sorry, verse 4, my, my bad. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That is good news, that we have hope of heaven where death and the pain and the weight of life is gone because God has made all things new. So we know that in the end, all things will be restored to what God intended, what God designed in the beginning. Thirdly, we know that God will be the center. God is the most important part of heaven. Verse 3, it shows us that. Verse 3 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with him. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. We see from this passage that God is the center. God is the most important part of heaven. It's not what I get out of it. It's not what's it gonna, exactly what it's going to be like. What we know from the Bible is that heaven is about God and we will be just like enraptured with him and his beauty and his greatness. God will be worshipped in heaven. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, I have to find my... Yeah, here it is. It says, after this... I looked, this is again, John showing us from the book of Revelation. He says, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every tribe, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. What are we seeing here? We're seeing a glimpse, a picture of heaven that is worship centered on God. That God is the center. That God is the most important part of heaven. We know that when we read through the book of Revelation, it's not, it's God restoring us out of his love for us. But as when we enter heaven, we will just be enthralled and enraptured in an awe of God because he is the center. Fourth thing we know is this, that there, about the end times, there will be a judgment. If we look in verses 7 and 8, again, it says this. It says, the one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars well, their, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, right? Scripture is clear. There is a day of judgment coming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we listen to this and we're like, okay, what's, you know, this seems, this seems heavy. And it is, it's very, very serious because it has to do with our eternity. When we look at those verses seven and eight, what we see again is that we see these two pictures. In verse seven, it says the one who conquers will inherit these things, meaning the one who, is, the one who conquers will 
one who essentially passes this judgment will be in the presence of God in heaven. In verse 8, it says, but there's, there's, a, there's an outside here, the cowards, the faithless, the detestable. It gives this whole list. So what's he getting at here? Is he saying, okay, if you've ever done any of these things, then you cannot be in God's presence. Well, thankfully, no. But what God is showing us is that, and it's not, it's giving us this glimpse of sin will not be in the presence of God. And so then we all have a problem because we all have sin. So how is our sin removed? Our sin is removed through Jesus. And anyone who has put their faith in Jesus and come under his authority has had their sin removed. And by God's grace, when we put our faith in Jesus, we do not fit in verse 8. We do not fit in that category. And it's not of our own doing. It's not of our own like goodness because we can't earn our way to heaven, but it is the grace of God that removes and forgives our sins, where even if we have been the coward, the faithless, the detestable, the murderer, the sexually immoral, all of these things, even if we have been those things in our lives, God in his grace has made us new and forgives those sins through the blood of Jesus. And so we think about this idea of this judgment that one day we will stand before God. And in standing before God, we could say, well, I've tried really hard. I've been a pretty good person. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. So God, you can let me into heaven. I don't know if that's exactly what it'll look like. But there's no hope in that. The only hope that we have is to stand before God and say, I do not deserve to be in your presence. But Jesus has forgiven me of my sin We're going to worship together after the sermon with the song called Cornerstone. And the very last verse of that shows us that we can stand before God dressed in his righteousness alone. And so we are sinful, broken people. And yet through the grace of God, we can be forgiven. But we have to understand that there is judgment coming for us and for every person But it's only through the grace of Jesus that we stand in front of God in that judgment and are acceptable to God because of Jesus. All of us face eternity, either either in heaven or hell. So if you're watching this today, like the concept of hell, eternal separation from God is offensive to many people, right? And you might be bristling at that a little bit and, and, and wondering, like, how could God send people to hell? What is this? Like, this does not sound like a loving God. And it's, there's, there's tough questions there. C.S. Lewis, the author, and um, he wrote a book called um, The Great Divorce. And it's, it's really this kind of allegory about heaven and hell. And in the book, he says this. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end, meaning kind of at the judgment. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And I realize it's kind of a play on words a little bit, but I love that. And I think it's a helpful way of understanding. Like God's desire is for all to come to know him, to put their faith in him. And hell then is the inevitable, eternal end result of continued rebellion against God. Essentially coming to a point where God has nothing he can do but say, All your life you've chosen rebellion against me, and even in your death you are separated from me. And it's sad. 
And, I, and, and, and there's nothing joyous for a Christian about saying, oh, people are going to go to hell. That is not, it is not a joyous thing. It is a sad reality. And I believe that the heart of God grieves when people die separated from him. And again, this is a huge topic. And if you have questions, we'd love to talk more in person or uh, not in person right now. We'd love to talk more one-on-one because it is, it is a big concept May we live right now by saying, God, thy will be done. God, what do you want? Rather than coming to the end and God looking at us and saying, okay, you get what you want. You have run from me. You've rebelled against me. This is, you You just have continually, as essentially as humans, we rebel against God and choose ourselves into eternal separation from God or into hell. So what do we do with this, right? Because we look at this and it's like, man, this is intense. The beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the gospel is that all are welcomed into the kingdom of God, into heaven by grace and through faith in the work of Jesus. We don't have a God that just delights in sending people to hell. We have a God whose heart grieves and breaks and longs for people to come to him and know him. And he invites us freely, right? It would be a messed up system if God said, just see if you can be good enough. And if you're not, then you have to go to hell. Like, I think that's what many people's picture and idea of heaven and hell is, is God saying, let's just see if you can live up to it. But the answer is we can't. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. Like that's religion. That's like, okay, I just got to do enough good stuff. The beauty of it is that God is not making this, like he's not hiding from us. He's not moving the goalposts from us. He's saying, there is a way. Humble yourself, put your faith in Jesus, and you can be forgiven. It is a free gift of grace. And this is good news. And our final thing, and this is hopefully, um, I want this to be practical for us this morning, is what do we do with what we know about the end times? What do we do with all this? Well, first thing is I want and I hope that you can be encouraged, right? I want you to be encouraged in understanding this, that the assurance of the return of Jesus gives us hope for today. So the fact that we can say Jesus is coming again, we don't know when, we don't know what exactly everything looks like, but we know and we live with hope. Not, it's not this like, ah, I wish, maybe so, maybe one day. No, it is a hope grounded in God's word, grounded in scripture that Jesus, the son of God, is returning. And it gives us hope for today. It gives us hope to know that he is coming again. And so I want this to be an encouragement to you. And think about your own life and the struggles that we face and think about just sometimes the difficulty of life. And it gives us hope for today to know that Christ, that Jesus is coming again. So be encouraged. The second thing is this, this idea of live with the end in mind. So live right now knowing that Christ is coming again. We can live today knowing that Jesus is coming again to restore all things. Now, we're not necessarily doomsday preppers, but we can live fully in the moment, right, while also fully preparing for eternity. That doesn't mean we're stockpiling water and weapons and food. No, but it means that we're living right now 
knowing that Christ is returning. So think about what does that mean? Let's, let's unpack that a little bit, right? Think about this idea that we see from scripture. What will heaven be like, right? We'll be worshiping God. We'll be fully surrendered to God. We'll be walking in full obedience and in full relationship with God. That's what heaven will be like. And so we can live our lives right now in that way, saying, God, let me live in obedience to you. Let me live with a heart of worship. Let me live in surrender to you. Let me live in relationship with you. That we live right now in the way that we're going to be living in heaven. It's imperfect because we're imperfect in this world. But we know that there is hope and we know that we can live right now the way that we will live in heaven. So we can live with the end in mind. It impacts the decisions we make. It impacts the things we do because this world is not our home. This world is not the end result. Heaven is in relationship with God is. And finally, live with urgency. And I would say this, there is judgment coming. Are you ready? So the way that we live with urgency on a personal level is to search our hearts and to say, am I ready? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Or am I hoping that I've done enough good? Am I hoping that I've, you know, just managed well enough and all that? Or am I saying, Jesus, I put my faith in you? Because the message of Jesus requires a response. And it's a, it's a decision for today. It's not a decision for, ah, one day, maybe I'll get around to this. Are we living with an urgency of understanding the, the, the reality that Christ could return at any time? And this isn't designed to like put fear in someone, but it's designed for us to understand urgency and the seriousness of eternity. Are you ready? And you don't get ready by working harder and being better. You get ready by saying, Jesus, I am sinful and I have rebelled against you. And God, I need you to forgive me. And I put my faith in Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. Are you ready? Have you responded to the gospel? I think the second way that we live with urgency is in understanding as believers, as, as Christians, understanding the urgency of sharing the gospel. Understanding that the world around us needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Are we living with that urgency? Praying for the people around us. Each day saying, God, I don't know how, I don't know where, but I want to be obedient to you today. Would you use me to share with someone else the good news of Jesus? Are we living with an urgency of knowing that we have neighbors that don't know Christ? We live in a city full of people who don't know Jesus. We live in a world full of people and people groups who have never even heard the name of Jesus. There is an urgency to the church, to God's people going and sharing the gospel. So what do we do with what we know? We live with hope and yet we live with urgency in sharing the message of Jesus. I want to wrap up with this this morning. This is a quote um, from a guy named John Calvin, who this was written in the 1500s. Um, and yet, as I read it, it feels like it could be written today. Um, it's a little bit long, um, so it, we're going to post it in the notes, and I'm going to put it on the screen here. But as I read this, as I was preparing for this, 
Um, it is just so good on helping us understand how we live in light of eternity. And here's what it says. It says Christians, sorry, it says Christians will be miserable if they don't set their minds on heaven and so rise above all that's in the world and pierce the facade of present circumstances. When they once have raised their heads above this earth, even though they should see the ungodly decked out in wealth and awards, enjoying the utmost tranquility, flaunting every kind of splendor and luxury and abounding in every kind of pleasure, even if they should be wickedly attacked by the ungodly, insulted by them, exploited by their greed, or harassed by their desires in some other way. Even then, believers will bear such evils. For they will set their eyes on that day when the Lord will receive his faithful people into the peace of his kingdom. Wipe away, tear from ev- wipe away every tear, sorry, wipe every tear from their eyes. Clothe them in garments of glory and gladness. Feed them with the indescribable sweetness of his own pleasures. Raise them to fellowship in his own lofty heights. And at last, grant them participation in his own happiness. This surely is our great consolation. Robbed of this consolation, we must either despair in our soul or seek comfort to our own destruction in the empty comforts of this world. Think about what he is saying here. He's saying, as believers, as Christians, we can face a world that seems unjust, that seems unfair, that seems to be falling apart, that seems uncertain. We can go through all of these things, but we can live and endure through it because we set our eyes on the day when the Lord will receive his people, us, into his kingdom. We can live and we can endure the pain and the the suffering of life. We can endure all of these things because we know we have a hope that is greater than what we live in right now. And without that hope, I love the end of that, what he says there, without that, if we are robbed at the very bottom, robbed of this consolation, there's two things we can do. We can either despair and just say, oh, everything is awful, everything is, is just, you know, terrible. We can despair or we can seek comfort. He says to our own destruction in the empty comforts of this world without having a proper view of heaven, of Christ coming again. We'll either despair or we'll just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make the best of it right now and just try to enjoy life to the fullest, which is a good thing. Like God has given us life to enjoy. But what his point is, are we finding comfort in those things rather than finding comfort in Christ coming again? So again, to close, we have to understand the urgency. We have to understand that judgment is coming. And that's not a popular idea. But there is good news in that, that even though every single one of us are broken and sinful and rebellious against God, God does not leave us as we are. He has made a way for salvation. He's made a way that we can be forgiven of our sin. And God in his love for us sent his own son, Jesus And Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a sinless and perfect life. And he died on the cross. And in his death, he satisfied the wrath of God against humanity. Because we deserve the wrath of God because we have rebelled against him. We have sinned against him. But Jesus took all of that upon himself on the cross. And then after three days, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death. And what that means for us is that anyone who turns to 
to put their faith in Jesus. And anyone who recognizes I am sinful and I'm separated from God and I can't earn my way to God, but Jesus has done everything that is required. And we respond to that simply by faith. We don't respond by saying, I've got to be better. I've got to work harder. We respond by saying, I can't, but Jesus has done everything. And we put our faith in him and what he has done. We put our faith in the fact that he has died on the cross, taking our sin And that when we say, Jesus, I put my faith in you, forgive me of my sin, he cleanses us and he makes us new and he wraps us in his righteousness. He dresses us in his righteousness so that we can stand before God and say, I don't deserve to be here, but Jesus has made it possible. And today you can respond to that. And maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe today you just need to be reminded of that, that life is not about you earning your way to God. It is about God who has accomplished everything. Because we can live knowing that the assurance of the return of Jesus gives us hope for today. I want to look back through comments here and see if there's any questions. It's Honestly, I, I asked for your questions, um, but it's a little tricky for me to like read and process as I'm speaking to you. Um, hang on just a moment. Okay, I answered, I think, some of these things. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll probably look through these and, um, and maybe respond um, in, in a more one-on-one way. Or as soon as we're done with this during our Zoom call, um, if you have questions, we may take a moment and, um, and answer those questions then. But thank you for asking. And, and you, you are, are, the, the door is open to ask questions anytime. Um, but as we close this morning, maybe God is working in your heart. Reach out to us. Maybe you need to put your faith in Jesus and we would love to pray with you. If we can pray for you, then comment and let us know or message us privately. You can email us at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. We would love to connect, especially if you're, if, well, not especially, if you're new with us, we'd love to connect. But if you have ways that we can be praying for you, or if you're just struggling, it's we, the world is weird right now. And if you're lonely and struggling through this time, then reach out. We want to be able to talk with you and pray with you. This morning as we close, take courage. Fix your eyes on Jesus, knowing that we can be most certain about the ultimate, even when we're most uncertain about the immediate, about what's right in front of us. Because we No, we have hope. Jesus is coming again. So as the church, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together.